Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! All right, we are ready to talk football once again on the Playbook Experts YouTube channel. I'm going to be your fill-in host. I'm Greg DePalma. You probably haven't seen me before. I'm always invisible as the producer of the show. <laughs> but now I'm, I'm seen. So uh, there goes that. Uh, anyway, Mark Lawrence uh, could not make it on today's show. So he's dealing with a personal matter. So best of luck out there, Mark, obviously. And I've got his pick, though. So we're going to talk about Mark's pick a little bit later on in the program. Uh, Vic also could not make it today. This is his day off. Uh, so it's uh, Andy Isco, Jim Feist, and I'll be hosting. So, guys, uh, good to have you on, Andy. Uh, good talking to you again. How's the week oh, gone on? Oh, it's a pleasure. And uh, I've gotten some feedback. Uh, a lot of folks like your contributions when uh, – uh, when you're called upon or when you are able to add to the show, they, they, they can appreciate your knowledge. I appreciate that. No question about it. Thank you, Andy. Jim, another week. Well, uh, yeah, another, well, we're down to the last, uh, I hate to see the NFL season end because I didn't Seven start games. out September and October. I wasn't all that hot. I was kind of chopping all the time, but lately I've been doing very well. So I, I hate to see it come to an end and, of course, we do have other sports, and, you know, it's crazy. Right now, I mean, this I never could say this. I think in, my, in the NBA lately, I'm 26 and 8. Hmm. And I have a little help with that because I'm not an originator when it comes to the NBA. I, it, and it, for me to be doing that well in the NBA is actually shocking to me. So... We're, we're moving on with that. We're going to get into those playoffs. And, of course, we've got baseball around the corner. So that's exciting. And, of course, college hoops and March Madness is right around the corner as well, which, which is one of the greatest times of the year. And you get all the conference tournaments that, that's exciting. I mean, yeah. what's not exciting about the college these days is the NIL and the portals and the transfers and, because it's crazy. It's hard to keep track of all of that. It, it's always hard to handicap and win money, but when the players are all moving around and go, negotiating deals, when you got college kids making more money than the pros, that's crazy too. So it's it's a little bit wild. Well, you know, it's the changing landscape in college sports, most notably college football, college basketball. Uh, we always used to hear about the uh, student athlete. Well, now it's the athlete student that really is playing in college basketball. And I'm just wondering 10 years from now, what college uh, football and college basketball would uh, uh, will be looking like. It's almost like you're going to have colleges 
hiring athletes to play football, even if they're not students and don't have any other association, because it's a big moneymaker, college football. But the way that uh, things are going, and I'm not saying whether it's good or not, it's just different. We'll have to adjust our our uh, approaches to it, is that uh, you don't have the continuity year from year. We're now in about the, what, the third or the fourth year of the transfer portal that largely came about uh, during the COVID days. And so you're having more and more changes in the overall composition of rosters. Players don't get enough playing time at school A, they transfer to school B. And it doesn't matter whether you're a power five conference, a group of five conference, uh, an FBS program, an FCS program, it's filtering down all the way through the levels. And it, it's a challenge for handicapping. Of course, it's still a challenge for lines maker as well, but it's also hurting, I think, the quality of the product overall. And that's something that uh, takes some getting used to. Uh, you know, it's, it's not like the days where you had a, when you had to sit out a year, at least that at least it discouraged a vast number of players from saying, okay, I'll stay, I'll stay at the school as a backup, wait my turn, and maybe as a junior or certainly as a senior, I'll really get my chance. You know, I, as an opinion, I'm, the, I've never felt that the NCAA did a good, NCAA did a good job uh, for the kids. And I've, I felt that they were abused for a long time. Mm-hmm. They, and it's the, NCAA, the NCAA, it's, it's about money. If you don't have money, you can't run these schools. You can't pay the teachers. You can't pay the professors. You can't keep the facilities. You can't build the gyms, etc. It all takes. It's all about money. Everything is about money, and you bring these kids in, these athletes that are really super good, and they have no money, and nobody's doing anything for them except under the table and backdoor deals, which gets everybody in trouble anyway. So now it's more out in the open. And they're obviously doing a lot better. You have to treat it as a business. It is a business. It's not just college going to school to get a degree because a lot of these people get a degree and they can't use it, and or effectively can't use it. So it it is a it's about bringing money into these schools and they have to start sharing it. And I have a, always it, maintained that the biggest beneficiaries of the current system in college football and college basketball are the NFL and the NBA where they don't have to pay the developmental costs that, for example, you have in Major League Baseball with the minor league systems and the clubs have to invest. I've always felt that the players should get paid, but the ones who should do the paying should be the NFL and the NBA. They can afford it, and they're the ones who are benefiting out of the you know two, three, sometimes four years now development that, are, that is taking place on the collegiate level. Excellent point, Eddie. Excellent. Excellent. Speaking of uh, the college game, so the 15th was the official date for players, uh, the underclassmen, to declare for the NFL draft. So now we have pretty much a 99% uh, idea of who's going because there's still one or two might decide to go back. Uh, and uh, we might also have a few other uh, you know, deals that might come through. But we, we pretty much know, especially a quarterback. And we've been talking about what a great quarterback class this is going to be. And it's still going to be because most of the guys are coming out. Now, there are a couple that decided to stay. But for the most part, you're going to have Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels, more than likely, being the first three picks of the NFL draft. So there's going to be those three. And then you're going to have the next three. And nobody knows where these three are going to go. I mean, one or two of them might end up in the top ten. Uh, but they really, talent-wise, are more like mid to late first-round players, prospects. And that's J.J. McCarthy, Michael Penix Jr., and Bo Nix. 
But either way, those are six guys. You can even throw in Cameron Ward, who's probably going to be an early round quarterback. I don't know what you think about Spencer Rattler, uh, uh, you know, to his uh, little brother. And that just uh, shows you how much talent is coming out this year in the NFL didn't, draft. Didn't Ward pull out and go to, was it Miami he went to? I believe I thought I saw that the other day. Okay, there you go. You see, so did it happen? Did he did he pull out and and uh, is that official? I'll, I'll check on that. Yeah, you see, so that's uh, that's going to happen. And um, yeah, I was actually surprised when he he actually declared to go into the draft. But then again, why not? Because you can always pull yourself out. It's better to pull because you're not going to be able to go in uh, if you don't put yourself in the list. So it does make a little bit of sense. And he needs another year anyway. So, uh, but anyway, the fact is, it's going to be, and this is what's needed, Jim. You know, we, 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 we've talked about how, how weak the quarterbacks were this year, but now all of a sudden the cream rises to the top and now we're seeing how good Jordan loves looked and CJ Stroud. So this is what we need. We need all this infusion of youth and a lot of these kids next year. I mean, I'm not saying can't miss, but for the most part, there's going to be some new quarterback talent in the NFL starting next year for sure. There's no question that when these these people come into the league, these kids and the not just quarterbacks, all all the players, they need coaching. And the coaches, we assume that you're an NFL coach, a head coach, a quarterback coach, that you are really good at your job. We assume that because they got to that position, and yeah. they're certainly better at it than I am. Yeah, but. You know, these kids need development and they need coaching and they need special skills adjustments. And and when we see love right now, I mean, the way he's playing and Stroud and it's absolutely incredible. And and even the kid at Pittsburgh, he has six foot five. He's got skills. But, you know, that's not a developmental location in the NFL for developing quarterbacks. So they need some help there. I mean, because these guys aren't bums when they come into the league. Yeah. They just need some work. Yeah. Rudolph's a good example. Like you said, because he hasn't had a lot of opportunity. Matter of fact, didn't even play in 2022, hardly played this year until late in the season. And all of a sudden he's going out there and he's winning three games in a row with a quarterback rating of 120. And then we talk about Browning, the kids, same situation. Yeah. It's like, yeah. These guys are talented, and it just shows you how unfortunate it is, Andy, that there is not a way for them to develop. Uh, I also, at least they did have the rule this past offseason going into this season where you could keep a third quarterback on the active roster on game day. That's a step up, but the problem is is those guys don't get really any quality practice time, and there needs to be a way that they can do that. Maybe add, maybe they fund some more coaching uh, maybe some more players that aren't associated with the team that could simulate games and the kids can actually have real practice going on while the other you know team actually goes through their regular practice sessions. But I don't know what the answer is, uh, but uh, we all know that it's a problem. Well, well I think, well, I think the answer is what Andy said before. We got to get these leagues, the NFL specifically, to fund more of that yeah. skill training that they need. The, the NFL makes a lot of money. They do. I mean, nobody can deny they may have a ton of money. And I mean, they pay the top guy that runs the whole league like $45, $50 million in that range, which they need to have more developmental departments for these kids coming out of school that aren't quite ready yet and can't sit on the sidelines and never get any reps. It's, it's so it, it's what happens is when you're making a lot of money, 
Well, you don't spend a lot in the right areas. You don't think you have to do anything because you got a monopoly, which they've had for a long time. That's what happens. Well, I was going to mention something. By the way, Cam Ward did uh, uh, withdraw and did commit, I think it was over last weekend, to, uh, as he says, go 305. He's going to go to uh, Miami. But Jim brought up a good point that sort cool. of illustrates one of the differences in the quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud came in tremendous season as a rookie right off the bat. Jordan Love sat behind Aaron Rodgers for a couple of years, came in, and in what is effectively his rookie season as a full-time starter, had a tremendous season as well. So both situations seem to work. I think it depends upon the ability of uh, the scouts to evaluate which guys are ready, likely to start, and which guys perhaps should have a year or two. I remember that went back, I think, to the whole thing with John Elway way back in the 1980s. Was he going to sit? Was he going to be, you know, ended up being traded? I think he, what was it, Indianapolis was going to have the draft, and he ended up uh, being traded, going to Denver, something like that, as I recall. So uh, a lot has to do with the developmental uh, aspects as Jim was talking about and the colleges in effect as I as I alluded to earlier are sort of serving somewhat of a similar role as the uh, what is it the uh, the G League in the uh, in the NBA where you're sort of out of college or out of high school but not yet ready to play in the NBA and maybe that's something that we do need but then again it may also come down to Maybe there just aren't as many good coaches as there were years ago. Mm. And also the fact that years ago you had coaching staffs that would stay around for 15, 20 years at a collegiate program. Now the head coach leaves. They take part of the staffs with them. If you do a great job as an offensive or a defensive coordinator, you you're, you get snatched up elsewhere uh, by a program to be either their uh, uh, coordinator or, in more cases, just be, give them the head coaching job. So there's, you know, as much as we talk about the instability in the players transferring back and forth, there's a lot more coaching changes these days because perhaps it would be understandable the pressure to win and win now or, you know, within a year or two. And then again, the fact that uh, you're, you're basically hitting reset, which is why I keep bringing up the situation with the Bears. Do they want to hit reset? Uh, and trade that and get that number one choice or build around Justin Fields, who showed uh, development again this year. And now he's got a defense to go with him and you could add some talent around him. So those are the decisions that teams like Chicago have to make. And you take a look at the New York Jets, for example, they've been hitting reset on quarterbacks about every two, three years. And by the way, that's the reason why. And I don't, I, and it looks like they're going to find a new home for Zach. But um and I'm a big Joe Douglas fan. And I think I think if he I think if he does that, he's succumbing to pressure. And I think it would be the wrong thing to do uh, because if you give up Zach Wilson, and even if Aaron Rodgers is here for a year or two, like you said, Andy, you're starting all over again. And what happens if Zach Wilson goes to a team with a good coach, good offensive mind? No doubt in my mind, he's going to be a quality quarterback in this league. And then you're going to be sitting there looking for your own. Uh, you know, 10-year franchise quarterback all over again. He did so. not play much this year, but in his time with uh, San Francisco filling in for Purdy, Darnold looked like a different quarterback than he was with See? the Jets. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Just shows you. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, let's recap what happened last week. I don't know. Should I start... Uh, should I start by uh, mimicking uh, Dak Prescott and say, uh, here we go with our... <laughs> playoff recap well, we should we, we should definitely talk a little bit about the coaching things i mean belichick has had two interviews now with atlanta uh, jerry jones who is definitely determined to never have a ring in his lifetime 
because he's going to stick with coaches that can't get that far. Um, that's my opinion. Um, but I think it's interesting what's going on out there with the coaching. I mean, for, for example, Chicago, everybody thought the coach, coach might go. He's there. He's going to stay. And McCarthy's going to stay. So Sirianni probably is going to stay well with Philadelphia as well. Yeah, that that kind of looks that way. And I, I sort of jokingly me. tweeted over the, uh, I guess it was uh, during the uh, Cowboys, or the, during the Eagles game Monday, I said, maybe the Eagles and Cowboys should make a trade of coaches and make the Giants and Commanders <laughs> very happy. That, that, that was just a, an incredible end of the season for the Eagles. I, I've never oh, seen wow. anything like it. I still think a lot of that has to do, and we saw it with Kansas City, was a point we brought up earlier, they missed Eric Bieniemy as far as the offensive uh, coordinator position goes. Well, the Eagles lost both their offensive and defensive coordinators to head coaching positions in the NFL after last season, and uh, they were never able to come close to replicating what they were able to do last year, although they started the season, both teams, uh, both units very well, yeah. but both the offense and defense really – yeah, and, and didn't perform well. And maybe that's part of the coaching with the coordinators, the lack of experience in making adjustments during the season. You know, you, if you're an offensive coordinator, you're, you're named the position, say, in January or February, you've got an entire offseason to break things down. Uh, now, of course, these offensive and defensive coordinators did have that time because they were named early uh, after the head coaching jobs went to the others uh, from last year. But still, there's it's there's a big difference between planning for the season and then actually being in a position where you have to have perhaps plan in advance for the kind of adjustments you may make. Because other teams are figuring how to attack the Eagles defense based on what they did last year. How to sure. devise or, or disguise what you're doing, uh, you know, off, uh, you know, defensively against the Eagles' offense, etc. And sometimes that may not be part of the preparation plan in the offseason because you're so confident. Hey, we made it to the Super Bowl last year. We got the same players. Okay, we'll we'll tinker a little bit, but there's, there's more to it than just tinkering. I, I still find it strange, though, how you win a Super Bowl as a head coach, and I get it. Coordinators leave, but what it's telling me is, is if there were whispers. And they got louder that Sirianni's job might be on the line. That's telling me that it's like, well, was he just a puppet? Basically, he's just a guy that's standing there allowing his is you know more qualified coaches to run the team, and he's just hanging around and kind of what? What is he doing? Explain that to me because that that shows me that the guy doesn't really have it. Now he's still there, so maybe he does. But again, I've never seen anything like it. He wins the Super Bowl one year, and you're going to fire him the next. One of the most amazing jobs in the current generation of uh, NFL coaching has been John Harbaugh. He's been with the Ravens for 16, 17 years, I think it is, right? Second only night. Well, it was to Belichick, but we're now second only to Tomlin, I think, who started a year earlier. As I recall, and Jim, you may remember this as well, I believe he came over after being a special teams coach with the Eagles for a number of years. So his his forte was not offense or defense. Nope. It was special teams. And, and, and another example is coaches sometimes have to realize that they have to adapt to the personnel. And the best example of this is uh, Brian Billick when he coached the Vikings. 
brilliant offensive mind, uh, uh, you know, as the coordinator over there, came over to the Ravens, which was winning with defense, and he basically said, I'm going to let the defense stay in place, let the coordinator, I think at the time was Marvin Lewis, do what, uh, uh, what he did best and uh, you know, not do that much with the offense other than uh, make sure that we don't make mistakes. And, of course, what was it, Trent Dilfer won the uh, Super Bowl, I think, with the Ravens when they won right. it back uh, then. So there are coaches that yeah, – obviously you have a big ego when you're a coach, but the smart coaches also know when they have great talent around them to assist them that, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that the head coach doesn't have to interfere. He may give an overall philosophy and then leave it up to the coaches. I think one of the changes that worked this year – uh, nicely for the Cowboys, for example, was uh, I remember I th- I thought, gee, getting rid of Kellen Moore, uh, that that could be a negative. Mike McCarthy was calling the plays. Uh, the Dallas offense was not much of a problem uh, basically over the entire season, especially at home. So uh, sometimes uh, getting a little bit more involved. I mean, Rex Ryan, I think he left uh, the offense alone when he was a coach at Buffalo and coach at the Jets. He basically said, you know, my specialty is defense. I'll concentrate on that. I'll just make sure I hire good offensive guys as best I can. Well, there are a couple couple issues we could we could delve into. I mean, take a look at McCarthy and the Dallas Cowboys. They're, I think their offense actually played a little bit better for most part this year. But on the road against quality teams, they beat one winning team all year, and that was Philly in the second time they met them. That's one team they beat that had yep. a winning record. That's not very impressive. And uh, you look at Belichick. All those years he had Brady, and he had the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator and all that going for him. So sometimes maybe, and I'm only saying this, these maybe these head coaches, and it's not a bad thing to be the boss and delegate to quality people around sure. you. That's actually what you're supposed to do. Yep. So maybe these guys actually did that, and they did it well, and they benefited from it because these other people are really talented, and he's letting them do their job. So – that's one thing Jerry Jones doesn't seem to do, but he meddles with the whole, he thinks he knows more football than anybody. So, but getting the coaches, you'd have to question about Belichick. What has he done before and after Tom Brady? It has not been impressive. And that may be why he would take a job like Atlanta, where he's not inheriting a quarterback like he would be, for example, with the Chargers. And maybe he's out to say, hey, uh, Tom Brady won a Super Bowl without me. Let's see if I can win a Super Bowl without a, a without a guy like a Tom Brady who's established a, a career already. That's a, that's the interesting thing because I assume that if he wanted to go to Justin Herbert and the Chargers with a lot of talent on both sides of the football, the job is his uh, based upon what he's uh, done. So maybe the, he Atlanta is presenting the kind of challenge that he gets to prove something or feel the something. owner in the owner in Atlanta, and I'm not I can't speak because personally I don't know him. But he seems like the kind of guy that steps aside and let the football people do the football things. In the, with the Chargers, the Chargers have never had that kind of a situation. Their ownership has always been a little shaky. I mean, that's the same group that fired Schottenheimer after a fourteen years, fourteen and two season. I mean, because, so, by the way, because a kicker missed a field goal that would have advanced them in the playoffs. Yeah, it made no sense. And then they bring in a guy with a losing record throughout his whole career to be in the head coach. I mean, those kind of decisions make me question, do I really want to work for this guy? Yeah, it's uh, it, it just shows you it all starts at the top with ownership. And, and talking about blank with Atlanta and Belichick, I did speak with Kevin Knight uh, 
one of our insiders on my Prime Sports Network channel, and I just spoke to him a couple of days ago, and he said that Blank really, really, really wants Belichick. And then, lo and behold, Belichick is going to have a second interview. Yep. It's looking more and more like Belichick yeah. is headed to Atlanta. Now, one of the things they're talking about is, is do they – because they're not in position to get one of those three quarterbacks. So do they make a deal with Chicago if the Bears want to trade out? Do, does Atlanta make a deal with Chicago for Fields? And that's something that apparently is 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 being discussed. And again, I am against it. I think if, I, if I'm the Bears, I'm keeping Fields, uh, and I'm working with him. I know everybody's talking about well, you can restart with the quarterbacks and the contracts, and I get all that. But look, to me, I think Fields is just good enough, and I think he could be even a better player if you surround him with better talent. But that's not. Uh, my uh, my position to call. Matter of fact, Mark Carmen is going to be my special guest tomorrow. He's uh, an analyst for the Bears. Actually, he does a, a show, a radio show up in Chicago. So I'm going to find out more about the Bears side. But it does look like Belichick might be headed to Atlanta. I think it's now, a good fit. Yeah, it, it, it would be. I mean, uh, you know, again, it might also be a question of how much control does Belichick insist upon Yes, and uh, how that's that the trick, be Andy, because he's GM. done nothing in the draft, nothing, especially offensively, that leads you to believe that if he takes full control of the team, scouting and everything, making all the decisions on draft day, how are you going to feel comfortable knowing that he's going to be able to accumulate the right talent? If you're devoting 50% of your time to talent evaluation, scouting, whatever, personnel matters, and 50% of your time to planning for your upcoming opponent, that's 50% of a disadvantage you have with most uh, teams in the league. And uh, as far as other, uh, we haven't really heard anything yet about Washington. So that should be something that should be coming out soon, though. I believe they did hire the general manager. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I know one of the and teams that's to did. That's total new ownership there, too. Yep. Well. Yeah. Um, Chargers uh, interviewed Harbaugh, and a lot of people are starting to think maybe that's the if Harbaugh leaves. That's the the place for him. He's got ties to the area. Uh, again, as you mentioned, Andy, he's got Herbert there, so uh, that's going to be interesting. Herbert on offense, Bosa on defense, and a lot of talented <laughs> players surrounding both. And, and and a guy that would be the head coach that's won everywhere he's gone, and oh, quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how do you not just open the bank? He's the he's he's the prize. Yeah, Harbaugh is the prize, in my opinion. And then Slowick is now become in the last month he's become the hot because we talked about Ben Johnson all year and even last year for Detroit. Now all of a sudden Slowick for Houston is now catching up, if not caught Ben Johnson as far as the hot offensive coordinator. Right. So that's going to be interesting. Of course, both of those guys are still coaching, um, and. you guys mentioned McCarthy, of course, with the Cowboys. So let's just uh, talk about that performance. How surprised were you? Not that the Packers won, but how badly Dallas's defense played. I thought it all started, and it was mentioned, I think, on the telecast, but it was a thought that I had. As soon as Green Bay decided, we'll take the football to start the game, that showed Moxie. confidence. Yeah, yes. it showed confidence. It says, we would prefer, we think our defense might uh, – you know, Dallas might want to get ahead and force us to do things we don't want to do. Let's take the first shot, and if we're successful, 
we send a message to the Cowboys that, hey, don't take this game for granted. You're up against a quality football team that played extremely well down the stretch, that had, a, again, not a, technically a rookie, but a young quarterback who got better as the season went on. Uh, if you take a look at some of the numbers that he put up, second half versus first half, uh, I, I like the Packers plus the points in the game. I did not expect them to win, and by no means did I expect it to be a blowout. In fact, uh, if you told me, and I didn't know anything about the game, Oh, the Cowboys scored 32 points against the Packers. Yeah. I, said, I said, oh, that's a nice win. How much did they cover by? Yeah. So that, that's <laughs> exactly. how much of a surprise it was. <laughs> and the, half of those points came after Green Bay stopped playing. Yeah, that was much. It was it was 27 nothing, and then 27-7 right before halftime. But they extended that lead after a couple of uh, exchange of scores. They were up, I, I believe it was 48-16 uh, to was. middle, yeah. late of the fourth quarter. Yeah. And the Cowboys yeah. scored two late touchdowns and two uh uh, two-point conversions to add the 16 points to get the 32. By the way, the Packers have now beaten the Cowboys five straight times, straight up and against the spread, all as dogs, including two playoff wins. And then if you take a look at the Cowboys... Uh, oh, by the way, and in both meetings against Dallas with McCarthy as Cowboys coach after McCarthy had <laughs> the early part of that great success with the Packers against Dallas. And in the stat of the week, which you can, which you can actually find in the newsletter this week, the the the, pl the playbook newsletter, Green Bay uh, has more playoff wins at AT and T Stadium than the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> I thought the most amazing stats from that game because they are totally meaningless, but people who might want to take a knock against Green Bay might cite them. The Cowboys gained something like, I think it was four five hundred and ten yards or something like that and had an amazing total of 37 first downs in the game. But that came after you're down 27 nothing, yeah. and Green Bay is basically saying, let's run the clock. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, that's why sometimes when you take a look at the yards, because some people will go, well, I don't really care about the yards. Well, yeah, over the season it matters, but in a particular game, sometimes it doesn't. So, um, yeah. And by the way, Dak Prescott is now Mr. Here You Go. Here we go. Uh, is by the way, that is just to me. I mean, uh, he just needs to stop that. I mean, I, it's bad enough I got to see quarterbacks clapping. Uh, now I got quarterbacks saying, "Here we go." It's the, it's the new Omaha. Ugh. Uh, got, Russell Wilson was doing "Let's Ride." That you know that kind yeah. of stuff. I mean, that that pissed everybody off on the. So it's it's these guys get the egos going. Man. Yeah, that's what it is. And uh, now isn't he like a fifty-nine million dollar captain this year coming year? Prescott. Yes. I'm not sure. It, it, it's up there somewhere. That's, that's going to be – that's a huge hit. Oh, yeah. He ain't to going To be able to pay anybody else. Yeah. He's now 1-6 against the spread in the postseason, 0-4 oh, against the spread as a favorite, and the Cowboys are 0-5 oh, against the spread their last five home playoff games. So wow. not good for the Cowboys. McCarthy stays. I know people are surprised, but how could you be surprised knowing what happened previously with Jason Garrett? McCarthy's actually having more success than Garrett. So it's really not a surprise. Well, Jerry, Jerry likes to have a, a yes man or a puppet. He doesn't want somebody like a Belichick or a Harbaugh where he has to actually sit back and let the football guys do the job. Yeah. He doesn't want that. He is the general manager. He is the He's still the voice of the team, which is the only head, the only owner in the league that does that. Okay. Before we move on, I want to uh, I want to talk about. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to pop it up here on the screen, uh, and that is going to be the Mark. Well, actually, this is Mark's 
He's got his uh, once-a-year five-star NFL playoff game of the year. So I'm going to pop that up. Uh, and uh, everybody uh, out there listening, uh, you can get it along with his other playoff and hoops releases for only $69. So, again, the five-star NFL playoff play of the year is this weekend. Uh, you can join at playbooksports.com or call 800-321-7777 for instant sign-up service now. And then we're going to move on over to this week's play, excuse me, our NFL game of the week. And uh, we'll pop that up there. As you can see, it's going to be the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills as the game of the week brought to you by uwager.lv featuring Friday night minus 105 juice Free same-day payouts. You can give them a call at 800-U-WAGER. So that's what we're going to start off with as our NFL game of the week, gentlemen. And we have Patrick Mahomes on the road in the postseason, Jim, for the first time in his career. So uh, how do you think he's going to handle it? Well, I think Patrick Mahomes will handle it fine. I mean, it's it's, it's it, these are two good quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you got Andy Reid there as a legend. The coach on the other side still is unproven at this level, but you know you have to say that he's pretty good. He's not bad. Um, he's not an offensive mind. He's a defensive guy. But when you have Josh Allen, who can do so many things that other people can't yeah. even dream about doing, <laughs> the the problem I have here, I have two big problems with the Bills. First of all, I think. This is a, a very big game for them because they finally have this team at home. You know, this this is a chance for them. They have so many injuries on defense. I don't even know how to evaluate how they're going to fill in these spots against a very competent head coach, quarterback. And now Rice has stepped up for Kansas City as being a pretty good receiver. I mean, all, half the year they spent, they couldn't catch a ball. Yep. Now they're catching them. And Kelsey, who's had an off year, he's got a lot of injuries, been hurt a lot. He's got a little sidetracked with his personal life, maybe, and that takes away from, not maybe, it takes away from what you're doing. But, um, you know, you got the two-day difference in rest because they had to cancel the game. So, and that's, and this has been a long year. There's a lot of bumps and bruises and trying to recover. And so you got two extra days of rest and you got all the injuries on defense and you're going up against the Super Bowl champ who has won scads of championships and conferences and everything else against, you know, Andy Reid and Mahomes. I mean, this is a tough spot. It's a good spot for the Bills, but a bad situation with the, the two extra days of rest for the other side and the injuries. Uh, one other bit of bad news for uh, the Bills is uh, Kadarius Tony of the Chiefs is currently listed as questionable, and oh. I mentioned that because of the way that first game ended with the offsides while he was uh, part of that uh, that gadget play that, that that worked but cost them a touchdown because of the penalty. Uh, now, people might say, well, that's extra motivation for Kansas City because of the uh, controversy. You don't need extra extra no. motivation for a game <laughs> no. that the winner sends you to the uh, uh, the conference championship. So don't uh, you know motivation might have made made a difference if this was like a game that they played next year and uh, they wanted to use it and they didn't meet in the playoffs. Uh, these teams since Mahomes and and Allen have faced each other, the teams are three and three. Uh, 
five of the six games were played in Kansas City, uh, two playoff games uh, that uh, Kansas City won, three regular season games where Buffalo won uh, two of those three, I believe it was, in the regular season, plus a, a regular season game in uh, the, the first time they met in 2020. Uh, they uh, the, the Bills won. Bill, all of the Bills' wins have been regular season games played in uh, mid-October, and uh, and uh, one and loss was in the playoffs. Uh, was one of the regular season games. How many won Buffalo? Uh, uh, just just the first time they met in the regular oh. season of 2020. Okay. Other times, so this is a good situation for the Bills from the fact that they finally have them at home yeah. in their climate in front of their fans. Yeah. Um, part of the thing about this uh, this game is that this is the strongest defense that Mahomes has had since he's become the starter. At the same time, I mean, they, they were uh, like number two in total in, in defensive yards allowed. They were number two in points allowed this year. A tremendous defense that would surprise most people, uh, considering that was not just not a strength. It was a weakness the last few years for uh, Kansas City. At the same time, this is by far the weakest offense that Mahomes has had uh, to work with. You talked about the drop passes overall. Uh, one of the things and, and one of the reasons why I, I also like the, uh, uh, the under in this game quite a bit is look at the offensive production as far as offensive touchdowns scored last year and this year. Last year, Kansas City scored 59 offensive touchdowns. They had two other touchdowns for a total of 61, but 59 of them were either rushing or passing. That number went from 59 down to 37. That's uh, like a 33% decrease, something like that, which means that they're settling for field goal opportunities when they have them, although the number of field goal opportunities, you know, field goals attempted this year and last year was only a difference of three. So it meant that they were just not scoring and they weren't yeah. even getting the field goal attempts that they got last year because you'd say, okay, we went from 59 to 37 in touchdowns. Well, maybe we would go from 32 to you know 48 field goal attempts because we couldn't convert when we needed to. And that's another thing that their uh, offensive uh, performance on third downs uh, was down uh, considerably this, this year, 48.7% to 43.6%. That sounds like a small number, but it's a great number of opportunities. So... Uh, I, I I haven't made a play on the side yet. If I did, it would have to be Buffalo. You know, they finally have an opportunity in the playoffs to face Kansas City. They had success against them uh, in regular season meetings over the years, including earlier this year in that game that arguably you could say Kansas City should have won, but for the penalty. But, you know, who knows if uh, Tony doesn't line up the way he does, maybe the gadget play is off by a tenth of a second or so. so <laughs> you, 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 you never really know that. So sure. I think the better play in this game, for me at least, is the under – uh, as opposed to the side, although certainly at two and a half, uh, the intangibles based upon the situation favor Kansas City, uh, favor Buffalo. But then again, intangibles, how much do they matter when all you have to do is win the game and you're playing for a right to go to the Super Bowl? Yeah, Buffalo, I know they do have uh, some injuries that Jim uh, mentioned. No question they're going to have to deal with that. It, it's uh, they do probably are going to get a, a few of those guys back for the game. Um, but uh, they're going to need everybody that they could possibly get, no question, because they, of course, lost Milano for the season, um, and uh, and obviously that was big. But uh, there's still some quality players on defense. You know, they're going to need Von Miller to step up. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to need some of their other young linebackers who have done a pretty good job uh, filling in for Milano. You know, Dodson's had a, a breakout season. Bernard's a nice little uh, young linebacker. So. 
I think they have done a nice job. And even Elam, who's had a, a you know suspect kind of season as a high draft pick a couple of years ago, came up with the big interception. So they're they're kind of finding ways. And it's interesting that that win against Kansas City was the win that started their six game winning streak. So that really kicked everything into gear for the Bills. And uh, that's why I, I did the playoff preview show with Ryan Dunleavy of the New York Post and, and, and Mark on my Prime Sports Network YouTube channel, uh, whatever, last week. And, um, and I picked my two teams in the Super Bowl. I picked with Buffalo and Detroit. And the reason I did that was because uh, we've talked about this all year. I think this is just one of those years where, and then Jim, you even mentioned this too about maybe some longer shots. And that is just, it seems like every month there's a new team, a new team who's hot, a new team who's hot. And I just, you know, I looked and I said, well, the Bills are hot at the right time. The Lions are hot at the right time. I mean, look at the Packers. They're hot at the right time. So I think this is one of those uh, off seasons where uh, it's, it's and, and we say it every year, uh, it's all about, it's a new season. And, and I know that usually there's so much dominance with the one seed or the two seed, and that's just talk. But I think this is the year, and we, we just saw it with the Cowboys, I think this is the year where we might actually see, and we saw it last week with Cleveland getting destroyed by Houston, that the teams that are hot don't necessarily have to be the, the, uh, the number one or two seeds. By well, the way, let me mention it's, one, it's one, one kind of thing off, about off year. So, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to just one thing about Buffalo. Buffalo has, and it started with that Kansas City game. Since that Kansas City game, every game for Buffalo has been essentially been equivalent of a playoff style yep. game because they're six and six. You lose one more time and get to that seven losses, and you you still got five or six games to play. You're maybe barely even money just to make the playoffs. Okay, so they they have been used to playing in tough games week after week after week, and they've continued to win those games week after week after week, as opposed to Kansas City, which for the most part uh, had uh, certainly a playoff spot, if not a uh, uh, the division title, uh, really since uh, what uh, late uh, November, if if not even maybe earlier. What are we going to say, Jim? Buffalo's bu- Buffalo's biggest challenge is to overcome the injuries, yep. and then look across the field and see. <laughs> Mahomes and and Reed, that's that's a huge challenge because you know you're dealing with a Super Bowl champ that been there done that, and you haven't been, and um, you have to get over that. It's it's hard to it's hard to get over that sometimes. And Josh Allen is going to have to be on his game, no question about it. He can't have one of those days. He's, I'll guarantee you this: he's going to get some yards running. He oh is, yeah, he's a horse, and he's hard to bring down and. I mean, some of the stuff he did last week against Pittsburgh was amazing. Yeah, that touchdown. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's the thing is that I think, especially like on the third and five or less, you just know if he doesn't see it, he's like, I just feel more comfortable. I can get five yards. I mean, nobody's going to stop me on the first hit. So, you know, that's why he's just so tough in those circumstances. By the, by the way, one other thing, because it's interesting. You did not mention when you talked about hot teams, how about Tampa Bay? Six and one down the stretch, and and depending regardless of who they played, they were in a division where you had two contenders for the uh, division title in both uh, New Orleans and Atlanta for much of the season. Now they didn't end up with a great record, nine and eight, but they still played their best football uh, down. Just the like stretch. Buffalo, every game they played Pretty down much. the stretch was like a playoff game. We we don't know how much credit to give to off their win over Philadelphia because yeah. of the way Philadelphia crashed at the end of yes. the year. And yes. we don't know how much credit to give to Kansas City for their win over Miami 
who was coming in depleted and in a very cold environment, yes. which is yeah. not to their favor. So it's really, yep. you, you really have a lot of speculation going on. Yep. Great point, Jim. And uh, speaking of uh, some of those other games, so so Detroit wins the, the, the big game, their first playoff win since 1991. It was a great game. I mean, early on, neither team could stop uh, the other. Goff and Stafford going mano a mano back and forth. And it had to stop eventually, and it did into the second half. But Detroit gets the win, does not cover, but gets the win. Uh, beating the beating the Rams, and so Detroit now gets the home game in playoff round number two, hosting Tampa Bay as a six and a half point favorite. They beat Tampa Bay back in week six, twenty to six, as a three point road favorite. They're now four and one straight up ATS last five, as you mentioned, Andy. Tampa Bay six and one straight up, and against the spread last seven, and in the stats six and one. In the last seven, by the way, Baker Mayfield is two and one straight up three and zero against the spread in the postseason over his career. And all three of those games have been as a dog, like it will be in this one. Speaking of dog, Tampa Bay nine and three against the spread as dogs this year with six outright upsets, including the upset over the Eagles on Monday night, Jim. Well, I don't know that they should have been a dog against the Eagles, but they, they were and you're right. Uh, the question here is, I mean, Tampa has a veteran coach. They play gr great defense. Baker has been around the league a lot of four or five teams, first round draft choice, as is Goff. Um, the, it, it, he's matured a lot. Now, that game last week meant a lot more for Detroit because of the situation where Stafford and Goff were kind of flip-flopped oh, in that yeah. trade. I mean, that was a confidence killer for Goff, and he had to rebuild his confidence over the years, and he had support of the team and the, and the community there in Detroit to do that. And I, I was really happy to see him win in that respect. Now, I have to say, admit that I did take three with the Rams, so I covered as well. So I kind of won the emotional out. side and the money side, yeah. so it was good for that. The heart but, one and the wallet one. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, I really think the spread is too high. I think there's, if they're giving, I mean, I, there's, I've seen sevens out there. I don't think Detroit is a seven point favorite over Tampa Bay. Don't they you think don't emotionally they're, they're also going to – I mean, they have to come down a little bit. I mean, they just have I to. I think I, that's another point. I think Goff got, Goff got personal revenge. They won a game. I mean, 34 years haven't been in a, in a playoff game. And they won the game, one-point game. They were shut down in the second half. They scored three. That's true. So, and, you know, so – and you got a pretty good defensive – the situation with Tampa. They know how to play defense. Yeah, they're playing better and defense now. They struggled earlier in the season, but their defense is coming on during this streak. And look at who their coaching staff is. Yep. They've got some defensive you know, DNA there. I just think seven's too high. I can see why a lot of people like Detroit, but I, I couldn't lay seven points with them. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you on that one. You know, uh, uh, Greg mentioned the Tampa's record uh, as uh, ATS record as an underdog. Uh, they were, I believe, five and four straight up on the road this year. Uh, 
including, uh, I, I, I think it was uh, maybe it included last, no, they were home last week, so it was all regular season. Uh, they were, but they were eight and one against the spread in those road games. So they weren't getting blown out when they did lose on the road. And now they've won, as I say, their last three uh, times on the, uh, uh, on the road. Uh, they, uh, uh, they match up nicely against Detroit to the extent that uh, you've got a really good defense going up against a really good offense. And I think Tampa Bay's offense is uh, better than a lot of people perceive. Detroit's defense also is a bit better than the, than, than perceived, but I think Tampa's offense is there's a greater difference in the perception and reality with Tampa's offense than in, in, uh, uh, in Detroit's defense. Uh, these teams played half their schedule, nine games against current, uh, against common foes. Uh, Cause I think they, they uh, I forget there were a couple of games where, uh, and it's one of in, in a lot of the analysis of these common opponents, sometimes you're playing the same division. You're playing like the AFC East may have played four games against the, uh, the AFC West and the, they're matching up. So one of those teams would have played a team twice. The other played them once. So that was a situation here with Tampa Bay and Detroit. They were both seven and two straight up in those games against those common foes. Uh, the, uh, uh, the the point spread record was six and three for both of them. Uh, the t- Detroit, as you would expect, had a better uh, point scored. Tampa had pretty much an equal advantage in the points allowed. Uh, one was, one's average margin was 5.2. The other was 5.5. Not much of a difference in the yardage per game. Not much of a difference in the defensive yards per game, although that did slightly favor uh, Tampa Bay. So what I'm saying is the statistical profile, the point spread profile, certainly suggests, as Jim said, this game is priced a bit too high. Now, if you go back, and again, and then Jim was correct, maybe how much do you put stock in what uh, – uh, what the Tampa did against Philadelphia. Well, at the same point, uh, Tampa Bay also uh, lost at home to Detroit earlier in the season in a yeah. game that Detroit pretty much controlled. Dominated. And so yep. they've already beaten a team in the playoffs that had beaten them in the regular season, which does a lot for the confidence. Uh, I won't say it was quite like that, but it almost thought Detroit was celebrating a Super Bowl win with that win last week against, uh, 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 you know, against the Rams. Uh, Again, I throw out that as extra motivation, but you do wonder how much emotional uh, and intense energy it took from them. Although, you know, look, they had several days to require, to uh, uh, to adjust. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa Bay wins, but more likely, uh, and, and, you know, we we think there could be a letdown with Detroit. I don't think so because that's not in the personality of their coach Campbell. I think the team feeds off a lot of his aggressiveness, and sometimes that means uh, he's prepared. He's probably well prepared to say, "Hey, guys." Everyone's going to think you're going to let down. Let's do uh, what uh, the Packers did. If we win the toss, let's take the football first against Tampa Bay. Let's show that we're prepared to attack that defense, which, by the way, you have to wonder why Philadelphia, which had great success running the football in their first two plays against Tampa Bay, then went uh, like uh, the better part of a quarter, maybe a little longer before their next running play. So you really have to wonder about some of the approach to that game. Nonetheless, uh, uh, I'm also with Jim on, uh, on Tampa Bay in this one. Saturday, uh, you have Houston and Baltimore. And uh, so, guys, uh, I got to get your reaction on Cleveland. I know Mark uh, must have had a really depressing day uh, watching that uh, performance uh, early on. It was back and forth, uh, but it was just amazing, even early on when it was a close game, how Cleveland was giving up these big plays with their defense. It's just, it, it, it's just one of those things that you, you just – if you're a Browns fan, I don't know if you can you can make it compute other than just history. Oh, you know, you're the Browns again, you know, that kind of thing. But that was just amazing 
watching Houston. I know this, of course, back-to-back pick sixes and how that hurt hurt Cleveland, no doubt. But I don't think anybody saw this coming. Well, it did send Flacco back to the couch. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and uh, you know, Cleveland went through a lot this year. They lost. They were Flacco was their fourth quarterback. And it was amazing that they got as far as they did. And I think they did a hell of a job coaching-wise. But somehow it all fell apart there. And it made no sense to me. that I was on Cleveland in that game. I lost that game. Fortunately, I won the next five games I put out. In the- <laughs> yeah, right. So I was, I was looking here. I'm 0-1. And what the hell's not going to happen? Yeah. You know, because it, they didn't even show up. But fortunately, I ran off. And then I lost with... I had Pittsburgh plus the points, and I didn't cover that. So that was my second loss. So the I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what happened with Cleveland, but they do have a history of falling apart. And the history came back and bit them. But they had a bad year when it comes to offensive linemen, the quarterbacks, the best running back that they had. They had a lot of problems, and maybe it just caught up to them. Now, you got in Houston, you have a young team, young coach who did a tremendous job this year tremendous job uh, and the the, co- the quarterback that came out of nowhere wasn't even picked number one he came number two i don't know how the hell they made that mistake of picking number one over him he he stroud has been amazing um but they're so aggressive they go i mean they pushed and push and push and they just found holes in that defense which i know cleveland didn't play that well defensively on the road but you would think in a big game like that they would have, but it was a revenge spot for Houston with Stroud didn't play in the first game, but Cleveland right. blew them out. Um, I don't know. I can't explain it. I, I had my money on Cleveland. I lost it. I just can't explain how bad they were. Not not that they lost, but how bad they were. It's kind of like Dallas, how bad they were. Yeah. It's, just, you know, it's really hard to explain that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that revenge thing too. The wild card, because we talked about that. Mark brought that up. He had that uh, that point regarding revenge, wild card, home dogs. I believe it was, and now they're uh, eleven one and one against the spread, both yeah, Houston and Tampa. <laughs> yeah, and I believe, yeah. and I believe in this week's issue, Mark talked about how teams do the following week in the divisional round after pulling the outright upset yes. as underdogs. Yeah, he's going to matter of fact, he uh, we're going to put that as part of the awesome angle which is Mark's pick of the week, too, when we talk about that. But you're, you're exactly right, uh, Andy. There's a It worked for Houston last week. It's now going to work against them, possibly, this week. Well, the, the thing with this Houston-Baltimore game is uh, they met uh, in the opening week of the season. And remember, that's the first game as a head coach for D'Amico yep. Ryans, the first game as a rookie quarterback uh, for C.J. Stroud. They lost the game 25-9, to but the total yards were 268 to 265. Sounds nice, although when you do it on a yards per play basis, uh, Houston ran a lot more plays, so they were outgained by, I think, uh, just under one yard per play. But nonetheless, they were more competitive than a lot of people may have expected. Yeah, it was a 16-point win, but nobody expected Houston to uh, be able to match them, at least on the field when they had the football doing things against what was arguably, turned out to be, one of the best defenses in the league in the Ravens. And Houston enters this game with some confidence. Uh, they lost two weeks earlier, I think it was week 17, to the uh, uh, Cleveland Browns. It was 36-22. 
but it was a much more one-sided game than that. Houston, I think it was 27 to seven, or maybe even 36 to seven before uh, Houston got a couple of uh, uh, late scores. So they've already been able to show that they can go out, even though the game last week was at home, that they can go out and beat a team that beat them earlier. This is a Houston team that continually got better as the season uh, progressed. In fact, you can see it both in their offensive numbers and their defensive numbers. They played very well over the second half compared to how they played in the first half, especially I think it was in uh, maybe it was games five through eight or something where they uh, uh, where they struggled, or maybe maybe that was one of the other teams I'm looking at. Uh, I don't expect Baltimore to win this game, but I would not be surprised if Houston gives a good effort. It's another team that's playing with confidence. Yep. We have not seen the best of C.J. Stroud, but look at the numbers. Uh, his uh, his uh, touchdown to interception ratio is outstanding as far as the fact that he barely threw uh, interceptions this year uh, as a uh, uh, as a rookie. So uh, if I play the game and I haven't yet because I want to see where this line moves, maybe it does reach 10. Uh, I'm more likely to be on Houston uh, against Baltimore. And, you know, we know about Lamar's struggle in past playoff seasons with the Ravens. That right. uh, has to be on his mind somewhere. He says the right things, and he knows that uh, uh, you know that he's got to perform better in the playoffs. But that still doesn't mean it's not on your mind. Especially, you know, most coaches, if if they're if they understand what they're doing, should tell their teams, "Hey, we're going to have periods of adversity." in this game. There are ups and downs in these games. Don't get down when we're in adversity. You guys know you can come back and do it, but you wonder if somehow when they feel that adversity, especially when it's been so popularized in the media, such as Lamar's issues in the playoffs, if maybe there's just a little bit of hesitation in some of his decision-making, not saying that there is, but I, but certainly it's something that says could, that could occur. Um, I just think this is a Houston, a very good Houston team, but I've liked Baltimore all year, or at least certainly since the uh, early to mid part of October, I think they win. But that's a big number to be laying against a team that is playing well, as well. Especially, especially Andy, and I think you're talking about big number, but the weather in Baltimore could be an issue as well. Yeah. Uh, we do have some East Coast weather issues, and you do in Buffalo, because it, you know Baltimore and Buffalo get kind of same weather patterns. A little worse in Buffalo, but. The point spread difference of being a you know two and a half point home home uh, field favorite versus a ten point home field favorite that's that's huge. So if you if you have weather issues and you have less points being scored, which you know is possible, very possible, the the ten would if you got ten would be much more valuable. However, the weather does greatly favor Baltimore because you again a lot of it messes also with the wind. Baltimore was outstanding at running the football this year. Uh, Houston, not so much. They averaged uh, about 94 yards per game, including uh, their effort last week. So that might be a favor. But yes, the 10 points matters yeah. a lot more in a game. And even with even with uh, uh, not just the bad weather, but if they do emphasize, if Baltimore does emphasize the running game, it also lessens the number of possessions in the game. Correct. And, yep. yeah, you do wonder if Baltimore, their defense, hopefully for their sake, can get off uh, maybe uh, to a good start and uh, maybe uh, set up Lamar and make things a little easier because, like you said, if they, for some reason, they're sluggish early, let's keep in mind, they didn't play last week, the starters didn't play the week before, this is almost going to be like a three-week kind of deal. They haven't faced that all season. And if the pressure's on and they get off to a slow start, then the pressure's really on, and then all of a sudden, you never know what's going to happen there. Uh, by the way, Houston is 4-1 and one straight up, 5-0 and oh against the spread in their last five this year as a road dog, including 3-0 mm. and oh, straight up and against the spread in their last three, beating Cincinnati with Burrow, 
winning at Tennessee in overtime and beating, of course, Indianapolis to win the division and end the regular season. Uh, their only straight up and spread loss as a road dog this year was week one at Baltimore. So uh, we'll see how that works. By the way, um, uh, Houston has won and covered overall uh, their last three matchups. That's a big spread. And then the final game that we're going to talk about is also a big spread. This is the one I was surprised about. I thought that this would be a seven, seven and a half point spread after the way the Green Bay Packers played. I was really surprised that this came out as, as about nine and a half, ten. Um, I just, look, I, I don't, I, I, I see what the Packers are doing and I just don't think it's just a week. I just, I think this team's for real. And I think this is going to be a heck of a football game. Uh, this is my favorite pick of the week, taking the Packers and almost 10 points, basically. Um, I don't think they're just going to go away. I think this is going to be a hell of a football game, guys. Well, there's certainly a lot of reasons to support the Packers based upon the way they played down the stretch. If you look at San Francisco's season, the one bad stretch they had, they had five losses. Three of them were in back-to-back-to-back weeks when Samuel was out, Williams, the offensive lineman, was out, and there were a couple of other banged-up players yes. who managed to play through. Yep. Other than that, the other loss was – or the f- loss number four of the five was the end of the season when everybody rested and they lost by one to the Rams in a game that the 49ers basically led most of the way, even though it, the game meant absolutely nothing to them. The one concerning loss, if you want to call it concerning, and it's not all that concerning, was uh, when Baltimore went in there playing with the, uh, the need to, uh, to win that game because of the fact that they were playing for the number one seed. San Francisco was pretty much not not technically, but pretty much locked into uh, the number one seed. Uh, but still, it's a game that when uh, uh, you stepped up in class uh, to uh, to face a team like Baltimore, a team you might make in the Super Bowl, you would have expected a better out- effort out of the 49ers. Green Bay, like some of these other teams we talked about, has been basically in a playoff uh, a winner go home for a good part of the latter half of the season needing to win, and they did basically what they uh, uh, they needed to do. I still think that the that San Francisco is the best balanced team, the best roster in the league, more playmakers. Uh, I like a lot of what I see out of Green Bay, but we've seen teams in the past who were playing similarly, made more progress than expected, and then finally it came to an end when they had to face their biggest foe in the championship game, a team that was expected to be there and a team that's looking to erase the memories of what happened last year when they had to play without their quarterbacks in the game against Philadelphia. It might have had a totally different result. So I think that little extra edge, although I will say I probably prefer the coaching edge of – uh, of uh, uh, Lafleur uh, against uh, uh, against Shanahan. Uh, basically, we've seen what Shanahan has done, especially if they get a big lead. We saw it in the Super Bowl. We saw it when he was a coordinator with Atlanta. But I think fundamentally, the 49ers are just uh, uh, what what the win did by Green Bay last week is it added extra focus and intensity to San Francisco's preparation because they probably expected, A, they were going to play Dallas, and B, if they played Green Bay, it was going to be because Green Bay kicked a late field goal to win or something. I don't think anybody, including the 49ers, expected any kind of win from Green Bay. So don't know how much of an impact it will have in this game, but certainly I have to believe the 49ers ramped up their level of preparation when they realized just how good this Green Bay team is. The the issue that I have here with this game, it's the same one that we have with Baltimore, except with Baltimore you have the possibility of weather. The the time off that these teams have had, yeah. Baltimore and San Francisco have had a lot of time off, and that's not always good. 
And this, I think, is the first year where you've only had two teams with the buys, and that's the two number ones. So that that's an issue. Where I don't I don't know that that uh, Green Bay will be able to produce the number of points or half the number no. of points that they did against yeah. Dallas, but they're going to face a much tougher defense, a much tougher defensive line. But I also wonder how Green Bay is going to slow down this prolific offense that San Francisco has. Sure. I mean, they, they can run the ball and they can run the ball all day long and Purdy can hit those receivers pretty accurately. It does bother me when Purdy had to step up against Baltimore and they put pressure on him. He looked like crap. I mean, he turned the ball over a bunch of times and he didn't look like he belonged in the league. But I've seen him on other other cases where he's actually looked pretty good, or very good actually. And um, I think you were right. He looked pretty good. P U R D Y good. <laughs> okay, play on words. I got it. Uh, I expect San Francisco to win this game is just as much as I do Baltimore to win their game. The point spread doesn't bother me as much in this game because I think you have an offensive defensive issue. Uh, I don't know that Green Bay has a chance of slowing down San Francisco. I think uh, that they're going to have to make their own mistakes to slow them down. But yeah, keep in San mind. Francisco's, San Francisco is very difficult to stop. Yeah, keep in mind Green Bay, a part of the reason they're hot is uh, they've been uh, fortunate to get Aaron Jones back at the right time, and he's looking like the old Aaron Jones. We have not seen Aaron Jones look this good all season. That's a big right. weapon in the backfield. And Watson returned last week. Didn't really play much, but he got back on the field. Another week later, he should be ready to now make an impact. And Green Bay's been hot without him uh, over the last several games. Now they get their most explosive wide receiver and Aaron Jones playing the way that he does. So that's why they're a dangerous team here. But again, one seeds are one seeds for a reason. They're the most talented teams all season long. That's why they've earned it. And uh, I think we, we, we're on the same page regarding the one thing that could work against both Baltimore and San Francisco is the time off. And if the two hot teams, Houston and Green Bay, can get off to good starts, apply pressure on the heavy favorites going into the second half, making it a football game. One, one thing I will mention about the Houston, they have been playing for 12 consecutive weeks. So they're going up against the Baltimore team that uh, you know has extra rest time when yes. you need it and not only that most of those games for Houston were similarly games that they needed to win especially that last game against Indianapolis where they knew that the winner of that game makes the playoffs the loser of that game doesn't make the playoffs the only question was was the winner going to win win as the AFC South champ or as a wild card depending upon what Jacksonville did the following day on Sunday when they ended up losing their game to Tennessee, which gave Houston the title instead of the uh, the wild card. Before uh, we wrap up with uh, Mark's pick of the week and his awesome angle, I'm going to ask Andy and Jim for their picks of the week. So, Andy, uh, let's go first. What are you going to go with? I've been going back and forth on this one, and I'm going to go with uh, Tampa Bay plus the points. Hopefully the line will go to seven. I would say monitor it, and if you need to buy the half point to seven, give that strong consideration. You know, Detroit's win uh, last week, we talked about how big it was for them. It was also their first playoff appearance since 2016. 
Tampa Bay will be playing in their ninth playoff game since 2020 when they yeah. take the field this week. Of course, the first in 2020, they won the Super Bowl. They played four games to do so. They got eliminated in the wild card rounds in uh, uh, in one of the following two years. I think they did win a playoff game, and then they lost. And then, of course, this year they uh, they won uh, they won their game. So uh, it's it's a very experienced Tampa Bay team, albeit and uh, you know one of them was with uh, Brady winning the Super Bowl. The coach has been there for a while, either on staff or as as head coach. So I think Tampa Bay is used to being in the position. Finally having some success. So maybe they didn't win that playoff game I was thinking about, but I know it is their ninth playoff game since uh, uh, since that uh, run started in uh, 2021. So uh, I think Detroit wins the game. The points usually don't matter in the playoffs, much like they don't matter five, and s- five out of six times in the regular season. Uh, but I think this is one of those games because of this point spread and the fact that that uh, uh, that, ten- that uh, both of these teams have played well down the stretch, especially Tampa Bay, which started three and one. Then I believe they went uh, one and five, and uh, then they went six and one to end the season, something along, you know, including last week. So it's a team playing with great confidence uh, against a team that uh, does not have the experience, but they certainly have the talent. Uh, you know, uh, the receivers I really like on uh, on on Detroit. So I'm looking for this to be a very entertaining game, uh, but I think it's a three or four point win for for uh, the Lions. All right, Jim, you got a uh, you got a prop for us? Well, uh, let me go back to a couple things. Take a look, everybody check the weather in Baltimore and see how how high the wind is, okay. whether it's driving rain or anything like that, because that's going to tell you where the positive EV is in the game. That's value, um, it, because if you see a bad weather game with a, with a the number of points are going to be probably lower because of that. Take a nine and a half or 10. It's, it's, that's value. So look at that. In the Tampa game, it, it, we all talked about the Tampa game. We said earlier that we thought the line, or I thought, and, and Andy agreed, the line was too high at six and a half or seven. And again, if, and what Andy said, if you're going to play it, buy it to seven. It doesn't cost that much, and that's a big number. I, th- I think Mayfield is going to get over one and a half touchdowns and that plus 112. I think uh, Godwin is going to get over 63, 64 yards receiving. I think Godwin will get a touchdown, and that's plus 250 if he does, which is a hell of a bet. Otten, O-T-T-O-N, over 29 and a half receiving yards, minus 115. There's four props in that one game. Now, for the Texans... This again goes back to the weather. If the weather is conducive to an open game where the quarterbacks are not going to have that much trouble with wind or rain, or I think Stroud will get over one and a half TDs. That'll be a decent price. In the Kansas City game, I think you got to look for the stars to step up. Pacheco is going to run the ball. He's going to get a lot of rushes. Rushing yards and rushing attempts would be over for me. And Kelsey. I know Swifty's going to probably show up to the game, and he'll. I think he's going to play good, and uh, I think he's going to get over the 61 or 62 receiving yards, and uh, that's that's quite a few few props that I had there. I, I've already bet them. I I don't give out stuff that I don't bet, so I have money on all of those. What's the uh, Kelsey touchdown prop in that game? Uh, 61 or 62 yards. Oh, touchdown. touchdown yeah. I, I don't I don't have that. Yeah. I don't have that in front of me. Because he's such a big part of it. I'm Buffalo. I have my eyes uh, double-team Kelsey quite a bit and prove that some of the else, those other receivers who have performed well lately. I think, uh, I think Rice, pressure. you're right. You might look at Rice at any time TDs because yeah. if they're going to double 
You're right. I don't have that price, but that's another prop that I could look at. You're right. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Baltimore, 27 degrees on Saturday and 17 mile an hour winds. So that's going to be a fourth thrust, the first game on Saturday. This is going to be underrated, possibly, and that's the weather in San Francisco. Starting tomorrow, it's going to rain, and it ain't going to stop for four days. So it's going to be a 70% chance of rain on Saturday night in San Francisco. Um, meanwhile— How about the, how about the wind? Uh, not bad. Right. It's only about okay. 5 to 10 miles an hour. So and, Seth, Andy and I, we should discuss this. Does rain really hurt the offense at all? Because now the receivers know where they're going. Field tends to get a little more slippery, and the defender has to reaction, act, react to that. There's always been an argument about this, as whether or not it helps the offense because the receivers know where they're going. They make the break, and it's hard for the defender to react. Yeah, I think that the 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 other concern mostly uh, that's acknowledged is that wind is far more dangerous than even cold temperatures as far as the passing game goes. But yes, if it's a sloppy field, um, you know, it's a question, I guess, of who falls down first, the receiver who knows where he's going or the defender who's trying to catch him after he realizes that the guy's making his break. So I've always wondered why we don't see more receivers sort of like half uh, – go into half motion as they're running down the field and then suddenly take off the sprinter speed. And it takes the guy who's following them very closely also going to half speed to react. That's that half second or so could make a big difference in getting open. And the weather in Buffalo on Sunday night is going to be 26 with 11 mile an hour winds. So another cold one, big surprise uh, in Buffalo yeah, right. <laughs> uh, for a playoff game. Uh, I, I said my pick already. I'm going to go with the Packers. I, I just think that uh, they're for real offensively. Again, defensively, they've been better. So, uh, But they're going up against that Niner offense, and that is definitely, in my opinion, that's going to be how they win or lose because uh, th that offense could be unstoppable. Um, let's now get to uh, Mark's play, which is also the awesome angle of the week, and that is on the Houston-Baltimore game. And Andy kind of touched up on this before. Uh, this awesome angle is called five alarm fire. And uh, Mark says to pick against Houston. And that is because if you take a look, and by the way, this is, uh, this is in the newsletter. So uh, this is uh, what, this is what you get in the newsletter, everybody. That's why you want to subscribe to the newsletter. And here it is. If you play against a division road, uh, excuse me, play against division round road, uh, team off a straight up dog win of five or more. And that team uh, is uh, coming off a season in which they had five or less wins the previous year. They are uh, 10 and one against the spread since 1982. So again, play against a division road, should be a division round road team off a straight up dog win of five or more. And that team is coming off a year in which they had five or less wins the previous season. They're 10 and one against the spread since 1982. So that's yeah. going to work against Houston this week and for Baltimore. And uh, by the way, also uh, keep in mind the uh, incredible spread record by John Harbaugh uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, in games in which Baltimore wins outright as a favorite against winning teams. So everybody would say 10 points. It's a lot of points. I don't want to give up that many points. Well, if you're, if you're worried, don't be not with a John Harbaugh <laughs> coach team. 
So that's what that says. The, the, the number is just incredible. It's huge. You want to know what it is? Get the newsletter. But it's big. <laughs> and I'm going to look at it right now, but yeah. I'm not going to say a word. Sure. And then I'm just going to pop up Mark's. Other, other than the word might be wow. Yeah. And I'm okay. going to pop, pop up Mark's once a year five-star NFL playoff game of the year. Again, it's this weekend. So you want to get on top of that. You can get it along with his other playoff and hoops releases for only $69. Uh, join at playbooksports.com or call 800-321-7777 for instant sign-up service now. And you can see this is the – I'm showing you right now. This is where you can uh, shop on Mark's website at playbooksports.com. Wow. I just read it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty big. All right. That's going to wrap it up. I uh, – it was an honor to fill in for Mr. Lawrence because that's all it is, is filling in. I can never really fill in, of course, for one of the legendary handicappers. For you, for of you our time. it might have been an honor. For Jim and I, it was a pleasure. You're right. And, but uh, uh, hats off to Mark and Victor uh, for yes. a great season. Sorry you weren't here this week, but uh, all the best this week and with everything that's going on in your life, whatever. And Andy, you too, and, Vic, and Greg. Lots of winners, lots of money this week. Let's you as well. By, by the way, next week, uh, there are only two games to look at, uh, the conference championship games, but I'm not sure that that means this podcast will be half as long. <laughs> yeah, I doubt I that. Know you're, you're absolutely right. <laughs> All right, uh, that's going to wrap it up. So hopefully we'll see Victor and Mark again uh, on next week's show. It's championship weekend. Uh, only two more of these. That's it. Championship weekend in the Super Bowl. So even though we'll be here on this show, we're not going away because uh, even in the off week, don't forget it's basketball season as Jim uh, touched up on in the beginning of the show. So we're still college hoops. Uh, and uh, and I know, of course, that's big for Victor uh, both uh, and, and Mark, both the NBA and college basketball. So uh, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about that real soon here on the channel. Uh, guys, appreciate it. It's great talking to you once again, and uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, guys. Take care, guys. Thanks.